for a lot of people in their 20s, it's okay to recognize that you need time for yourself and not, if you have the opportunity to not necessarily get thrown into the race, do things, do things that fulfill you, do things that keep you involved, keep you, keep your creative juices flowing, but allow yourself the time to have that introspection and gain that perspective because you're only delaying it because eventually it's bound to happen. You're listening to the Talking 20 podcast. This podcast is for you if you're in your 20s and you're thinking, what the hell am I doing? We've all been there and we want to talk about it. We're your hosts, Bridget O'Rourke and Mary Margaret Courtney, and we sit down with fellow millennials to chat about their journey and hear what they've learned along the way. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Talking 20. Today we are joined by somebody that I am the most excited to talk to. Our guest is a person that I went to school with at Ryerson for radio and television arts slash media production. And let me say, he has taken the education that we got and ran with it. Introducing Doohan Nanda. Doohan, I'm so thrilled to have you on the show. Thank you, Bridget. My first friend in RTA School of Media. (laughs) Yes. Oh, man, I'm stoked to have you here. Uh, Doohan is a TV host, actor, producer, and writer. You may know him as the anchor of YTV's Big Fun Movies. If you watched YTV when our generation, uh, the the millennials, were growing up, I'm sure you know of Carlos, of Carlos and Sugar. And he was the host who was pretty much hosting from, like, age 13 to age 40, (laughs) and he looked the same the whole time. I kind of think of you as... The next Carlos. Do you feel the same way? I mean, you know, people make that comparison, but it's, you know, we're very different in, and I have to even, you know, and I've had this conversation with Carlos before too. It's like, yeah, like bring your own self to it. You know, when I came into it, of course, you know, you feel like people are so used to Carlos. That's what they want to see. But um, it it was one of those things where, yeah, I had to like, working with him was incredible because I've learned so much from him and I watched him and all of that stuff. But yeah, finding my own voice, but also like being inspired by him was really cool. Um, Yeah. But no, I don't necessarily think of myself as the next Carlos. I don't think anybody could ever be. There must be something in the YTV water though, because both you and Carlos don't age. Like you look the exact same as the day I met you. I mean, so do you. It's just, you know. Skincare. We're taking care of ourselves. Okay, so for the the you know the older people listening and Mary apparently, who is Carlos and Sugar? So I mean, so Sugar used to be a VJ on YTV and before I watched it, to be honest. So I I've watched stuff of Sugars, but she wasn't somebody that I necessarily um, watched a lot of. Also because um, you know I was I grew up in India for the most part too. So when I moved here, I was like I started kind of visiting my dad here when I was eleven, and then officially officially moved um in grade 10 so at that point i think sugar had officially left and so carlos is mm-hmm. who i watched but yeah so sugar was like you know was a very distinct personality has sort of a high-pitched voice and just a very likable personality and then they brought carlos on to be sort of like her partner in crime and then when she left carlos sort of took over and kind of like bridget said he you know has hosted for i believe 16 years so a lot of people grew up watching him and also this was at a time before uh, social media right so like you did you couldn't just be like oh i have youtube and i have netflix and i have disney and i have a million other things we actually watched tv so he impacted a lot of people's uh childhoods very cool yeah and for anybody who doesn't uh know of sugar they may know her from uh the she's in a lot of movies but specifically the one i'm thinking of is mike and dave need wedding dates she's the uh she's the sister who's getting married in that one (gasps) The girl with the, like, oh. high-pitched voice. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's an excellent yeah. movie. 
That was a fantastic Yeah, so movie. she used to be on um, on YTV. Gotcha. Ooh. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. So, in addition to being an, a host on YTV, Doohan, you also are a writer and producer for the show. You also produce uh, segments for Global's The Morning Show, and you appear on CTV as an entertainment contributor. Is that true? Is that still... Still the bio? Very true. Uh, yeah. You found, you found all the info. I found all the info. You're not hard to find online. <laughs> um, and your job looks, as we were talking about before, it looks quite glamorous on your Instagram page. You know, you're traveling, you're meeting all the people, all the people in up-and-coming recent movies and Rihanna, like you were just saying. Um, and we're going to get to know more about how you developed your career in this interview and how you landed this sweet job and some of the ups and downs along the way. I'm always, oh. honestly, Duhin, I'm always excited to talk to our guests, but you and the guest last week, who was Taylor Lindsay Noel, you guys are the ones that I am the most excited to talk to. I think it's probably because we got to know each other before our 20s, like right when we were going into our 20s, setting ourselves up for a very difficult industry, but rewarding industry. Uh, and it's cool to kind of reconnect and see how we've all, the paths that we've all taken along the way. For sure. And like, it's, yeah, it's interesting you bring that up because, you know, like I said, you were, I guess, my first RTA friend because I know we started connecting even on Facebook before we started the program. I'm a completely, at least I like to believe, completely different human than who I was then. And I'm assuming you've also changed a lot. Oh, yeah. So I'm also, it's just cool to be able to, like, meet people you went to school with, who, yeah. you know, we all saw each other in the t- in that time of our lives when it was like we came into the program probably, like, all hyped and cool, <laughs> and, you know. And then yes. life began, we're like, oh, there's, like, things that I don't know, and there's things that are hurting me or, like, uncomfortable, and it's, like, you have to adjust to that. So, yeah, the the fact that this podcast is also all about, like, your 20s and the 20s have been, like, the best and worst time of my life is, yeah, it's just, it's cool. Oh, yeah, I'm excited. I'm so excited to dig into that with you because, yeah, it's, the ups and downs are insane. But then from there, we met, we had projects together. Uh, we did, we were frosh leaders together in second year university, uh, which was fun. We were introducing the youths of RTA who were the same age of, as us to the culty RTA culture. It was so much fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, but before we get into our twenties and the ups and downs of that, uh, we want to go back a little bit. So let's briefly talk about some of the major life moments that you had as a child, because as you said, you grew up in India. Yeah. So you said that you, um, you, when did you move here? You moved here in grade 10, right? Yeah. So what was that like? Was there a big culture shock? What was that transition like for you? So there wasn't, I know a lot of people expect, you know, the fact that I moved from India that I must've been like, Oh my God, like, I don't know anything. I don't speak the language, but no, it's interesting. Cause like I grew up speaking English. I went to an English school my whole life. Um, and you know, I don't know, maybe this is a thing in like big cities in, you know, the East that we all want, like we all are so in touch with Western culture. So like, you know, even growing up, like kids in my school were like obsessed with Harry Potter and then, you know, the, all the, you know, MTV and VH1. And remember all the girls like talking about Gossip Girl and the OC and 90210. And it was like, you know, that was the, like what the kids did just like here, I guess. And it was one of those things where, you know, and Facebook had just started up and it mm-hmm. was like the, like the beginning of social media and things like that. So when I moved here, I just was like, oh, I already know this stuff. I just get to be a little bit closer to it geographically but uh, in terms of a culture shock I mean there was obviously a little bit of an adjustment just things 
uh, culturally, but it was all positive. Like, I mean, I was probably a little bit uh, more introverted in high school just because it was like new and I was just trying to like fit in. And you know how it is, like a lot of kids went to elementary and middle school together and already had sort of like groups. So finding myself in that dynamic was interesting. But then of course, when we started uh, Ryerson, that was like, oh yes, this is my moment to come out of my shell. So when you were in the transition from moving from India to here, was it like an exciting thing as a teenager? Was it scary? Like, has it formed any sort of foundation for the person you are today? Oh my God, it's changed my life. But it's one of those things where when I think about it, it doesn't make sense that I did it because like things were fine for me there. Like I was doing well in school. Like, I mean, but I just didn't, I just never fit in. It was just one of those things where I knew that it was just not where I was meant to be. And, you know, um, luckily my dad is here. And so I knew that I was eventually going to end up here. And the, the, always like growing up, my idea was, oh yeah, I'm going to move um, for college. Like I'm going to move when I'm done school. Um, and somehow I, I was actually visiting my dad over, over a summer and this, the, the school term in India finishes a little bit sooner than it does, or like two months sooner than mm. it does here. So when I was, when I came to visit my dad, it was, you know, summer vacation in India for me, but like this school, to, you know, the second semester, I believe it just started in, uh, in Canada or in Ontario. And so I actually like, my dad was like, Hey, do you want to like enroll in the school while you're here? And so weirdly, I just, on my summer vacation in Canada, I just enrolled in school. You here. said yes to that? And I'm like, spontaneous. No, dad, I'm on <laughs> summer vacay. What kind of question is that? I, gr- I grew up again watching Hollywood movies and stuff. And I was like, ooh, I get to be in like, you know, a North American high school. And like people wear like regular clothes because I had like a uniform in my school and stuff. And so, you know, I was like, I just thought it was cool. And I, got, I thought I'm going to go to house parties with red solo cups and it'll be like American pie. And I was, you know. And it was. Yeah. You're destined to be an actor. You're like perfect moment to method act like those people on TV. <laughs> yes, exactly. I was like, even if I, and to be honest with you, like uh, academics is such a huge focus in India that when I came here, I was like, oh, this is a joke. I, like school was like way too easy. Really? So, um, yeah. I mean, like math and stuff sure was comparable, but I, you know, I didn't have to, I took, I believe I took like basic grade 10 math or whatever. Um, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, it was just, it, it was like, I, and I was no whiz kid in, in India by any means, but I felt smart coming here because I like, when I did my sort of intro test to get into school, they were like, Oh, like you, you're good at this. And I was like, all right, you don't need to um, come to school. <laughs> no, I wasn't that smart, but anyway, point being like, I got to just, and I already had my credits. So that those two, two and a half months were just fun. Like I could have failed if I wanted to, because the credits were going to transfer over anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I tried it out and I got to make some friends. And, uh, when I went back to India, I'd already like met people in the school. I knew which school I was going to go to. If I did move, I sort of built that foundation. And so I decided, I was like, yeah, I think I want to do it. And I just said yes, without realizing that it's going to be sort of a, you know, um, a big move, but then, um, when the time came to actually like pack my stuff, I was like, Oh, it's happening. But then once I got here, it was like, because I already knew people in the school and it like within a week I was like, Oh, okay. No, I belong here. Like this yeah. is a no That was the right call. Yeah. You're comfortable. That's yeah. so cool. Good for you. It's such a young yeah. age to be like I'm doing it. Let's go. Yeah. Have you ever wanted to move back? No, never. Like I, and I don't think I could, it's just, it's like, it's a cultural thing. Like it's just, you know, and a lot of my friends and family there have great lives and, um, really thrive in that sort of environment, mm-hmm. which is fine. But just for me, 
culturally, socially, um, the things that I appreciate and enjoy, it's like, it just is, is a better environment for me. So I, I thrive here. Whereas I feel like when I, even when I go back to visit on trips and stuff, I'm just, I'm not completely myself. And that, well, it's not necessarily just because I've moved here. Even when I was growing up there, I was kind of like weirdly felt like I didn't belong, which is so weird because I'd never lived here. So I had nothing to compare it to, but I just knew that I didn't, I, I was, I wasn't thriving there. Um, and so it just is one of those things where, you know, certain things in life you just feel like are meant to be. So I feel like this definitely was one of them. Oh, that's great. That's awesome. What did you want to do after you graduated? Did you know that you wanted to go into your, into RTA? Did you know that you wanted to, you know, rise to fame? What was your, what, what was your thought process at that time? I don't know, but I still do not think I have risen to you fame. You have definitely risen to fame. I knew you were going to say that. Um, no, that was, it was, it's interesting because obviously I had sort of like, um, artistic desires my whole life but it was just one of those things and maybe this is another thing that india sort of trains you to think this way but um i was like oh yeah if i go to college i'm gonna have to do something like smart so i'm gonna do i and i decided i'm probably gonna go to business school that was just my idea when i came here of what um college was supposed to be and then i you know you know when the universities come and they do their little talk or whatever and so there was a representative from ryerson who came to our high school just to like talk about the program and she was just really cool she's like had really cool hair and an outfit and i was like oh like you're you know and i mean you think of like university representatives you think they're like old boring people but no she was just cool and talked about like the more uh, media focused program she talked about film and journalism and you know, uh, RTA School of Media, which we went to, and I was like, oh, okay, and I started looking into it and realized that, no, this is not an easy way out. It's actually hard to get into these programs, and it actually requires a lot of work, and it's something that I want to do, but it's obviously what came more naturally to me, so yeah, I applied and um, got in, a, I'm, glad I, I'm glad I chose that route. So it was like a last-minute decision not a last minute, but like you were, you weren't always waiting to apply to RTA. I mean, when do I'm, I'm trying to think if it was in grade 11 or 12 that they come and talk to us about that stuff. It's probably grade 11 because I think you apply think in like grade January 11. grade 12. So yeah, it's yeah. Grade so it would have been grade 11 because then I got to sort of like plan my I knew what I needed to, um, you know, get into the school and what the requirements were and prerequisites and blah, blah, blah. And so mm -hmm. I remember, you know, kind of planning for that stuff. Yeah. Uh, the U or M courses or whatever. Um, but uh did that and yeah so I guess in grade 11 is when it kind of came to me I was like oh I don't have to study something I genuinely don't enjoy yeah do you remember what you wrote your 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 essay on for uh first year oh my god we had to do like a personal essay a, a like written to get in right yeah it was brutal the personal essay I think I was perfectly fine I went on forever but I <laughs> It's so funny because I wrote my like academic essay or whatever, the research paper. And I don't know, I guess, I don't know if I just didn't like know this or didn't look into the proper requirements or whatever. Usually I'm very thorough with everything and I was for the most part, but for this one essay that was supposed to be like the, the research essay, I did the research and I wrote the essay, but then I remember I went to like the open, open house at Ryerson for RTA or whatever and met the program counselor there after I'd already applied was like, hey, I've already applied. So I just want to know, like, application process-wise, like, you know, what do you guys look for? And the first thing she was like, oh, well, the academic, you know, we want to make sure you've used a lot of, you know, scholarly sources and you need to have at least five of the blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I 
swear I had not one scholarly source <laughs> mentioned like written. I don't think I did a work cited for this for this really? paper. And I so in that moment when she told me that I was like, great, so there goes like my top choice. Um, but I think what probably worked in my favor is that I got lucky in, in high school with volunteering stuff. So I did a little bit of like Rogers TV. And right. then there was like uh, a producer in Toronto who was like casting actors for like a, a TV pilot. And um, so I auditioned for it and had like a very small role in it or something. And it never turned into anything. But I, because I was kind of interested and I kind of worked with him in terms of he kind of walked me through what it means to, you know, put a show together, then how you pitch it to networks. And he right. was kind of like involving me in the behind the scenes process. So I got to write about that and used him as one of my references. And he spoke very highly of me. So I think having maybe seen that I've done stuff in the industry that I'm actually like doing things. And that's another thing for university, right? Like I was at moments, I felt a little, um, uh, beaten down by the program because I wasn't necessarily the top, you know, score in certain classes. Like I wasn't mm-hmm. getting the best grade. But I, again, now in retrospect, I'm like, good. I don't, I should not have been spending that much time, you know, working so hard on certain projects, which have no output in real life because I was actually out doing real work. Right. Mm-hmm. So everybody has a different sort of in, incentive or different sort of goal with the program. If you want to go do a master's after whatever, yes, get your you know GPA in order. But for me, certain moments or certain classes, I was like, oh, okay, I got a D. Okay, cool. Um, noted. Um, really? Time to Good move for on. you. <laughs> I feel like yeah. a lot of high school students have to get that mentality a little bit more, just being able to be okay with not, you know, thriving in certain classes if it's not going to do you any good in the realm that you want to go into. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's such a nice balance for you that you, you know, you're coming out of school, you know, you have to focus on grades and essays and getting into a university, but you were also chasing the real life experience, which I do think, yeah, high school kids could really learn from that. Because as you grow up, it, no matter what job you have, there is going to be that, like, that work, that grind, whether you're writing reports or emails and doing paperwork and stuff like that. And then there's like actual life stuff and you have to have that balance of the two. And maybe that's why, maybe you're right. That's why they were like, no, this guy's clearly trying to work in the industry. He's passionate. Maybe, you know, you just had a feel to you. And so with your essay, they're able to like oversee the fact that you didn't have any scholarly cited I don't remember what you said, but you were like, I <laughs> am yeah. a scholar. I've done the things. <laughs> yes. I am your future scholar. I was good at like, I'm good at communicating and I'm good at like English and things like that. So I knew it was a good paper. It's just, if you, I didn't follow all the rules, I'm sorry, but like it was, you know, that's awesome. Good for you. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do want to know though. So yeah, when you, yeah, when you get into university now, you're at Ryerson and you're living the dream. Are you happy with the choice you made? Are you wondering if you made the right call into the right school? We get a lot of people that we interview and they find like, we're too young to make that decision. And, you know, grade 11 when they come and talk to you. So we're going off our gut or what our parents are telling us or what our hobbies are. And then all of a sudden you're like living this adult life as an adult human living on your own or in res. And you might be like, shit, this was not the right call for me. Did you have any of those moments or were you just like living the dream hyped about your new program and people? No, I had a lot of those moments. I mean, I think again, for me, the, the program was, it's good that I had something that I did in the industry. And I guess the piece of paper means something and like having 
completed the program holds a certain amount of value. And, uh, you know, something that I remember, you know, kind of having a tough time with was, well, why do I have to do all these projects if they're not going to help me in life? Or why do I have to, you know, follow all these like guidelines and rules about certain things? And I, I don't know if it was a prof or whatever, but what people would often say is like, it's not necessarily about what you're doing, but about why you're doing it and the discipline that's required. And, you know, but I do find that universities can sometimes be a little bit of a creativity killer if you let them be. So like same sort of thing, right? You're doing whatever, six, seven courses and trying to multitask and have a sociology class, an English class, a media class. And in in real life, when you have a job, you're never really going to have that. You know, I work in TV and yeah, I write and produce and host Mm -hmm. and whatever, but it's still all kind of interrelated. I'm not suddenly then, you know, have an evening job as an accountant. Like, you know, it's just not something that we have. We don't have to do so many things in our lives. But so it's a good practice, but it can be very tough. It can be a huge adjustment. I had a moment, I think it was maybe third year that I just remember, you know, calling my mom and being like, I don't know if I could complete this program. I don't think I could do this. Like, I don't know if I want to. It's just, it's really taking a toll on me. It's sort of, I don't have time to to thrive creatively. And maybe that was another thing where like, as somebody who does like to perform and that wasn't a huge component of our program that I found that it was sort of keeping me from being able to not just like, not that I would have had this free time to just go out there and, you know, perform and be all creative, but sometimes you just need a minute to just be with your thoughts and just slow down. And I felt like I was constantly running and didn't have a chance to do that. And I was like, maybe I just need to take a year off and, you know, um, sort of relax and breathe. But I was like, nope, power through it, power through it. Because I also know myself that I probably would have never gone back to it had I taken that break. So I'm like, let's get it over with. And- yeah, there'd be major regret. Yeah. I remember feeling the same way. I went to school for musical theater and we, it's the same thing. Like it's a boot camp, and they're pushing you through so much to get so much education and training done. It's not necessarily an idea way to represent the work you'd be doing or what a job would be like in the future um but yeah by the end I was like I don't love this anymore there's no creativity there's no space to be sparked by you know whatever you're doing to create some art because you have timelines and deadlines and projects do um but for us we also had a lot of competition and that killed it for me because I was like I'm so tired of being worried that the person next to me is going to get the job and I'm not. And the person, and there was always like, do you guys have that in that program? Was there that competitive aspect of it? I mean, yeah, I would say so. Like Bridget, what was your experience with that? Um, I don't know. I feel like at that time, I just wasn't even thinking that far ahead. Like I didn't know. I obviously afterwards, I know that there was a job that I went for that somebody else in RTA also went for and they got that job. And that was the only time I ever felt like there's definitely some competition there. But other than that, I I was never really thinking I was more thinking about making relationships rather than being like competitive with people. Good. And honestly, how about you doing? I, yeah. And again, I went into the program with that mentality, but I had um, a lot of instances where I felt that competitiveness or that envy from other people. And it, I was just like, Mm -hmm. oh, I guess I have to, you know, I don't know how comfortable I can be around you or how much I can let my guard down because maybe you are competing in the same industry. So maybe it is a good idea to keep everybody I'm going to school with at a healthy distance. Obviously, you know, I've gotten some good friendships out of there, but there's people you can tell 
who you want to have a human connection with and people who you just want to keep as colleagues and acquaintances uh, and connections. For sure. Mm -hmm. It was just, it it was tough for me to sort of navigate that and be like, oh, like you seem like a really cool person, but I've never been able to truly be at ease around you. Um, And maybe that says something and I'm not going to try to force it or I'm not going to take it personally. Yeah, I feel like the difference between um, us is like, Duhin, you had a lot of really cool opportunities at that time. So people could see the direction that you were going in and maybe that fed into some jealousy or some competition. Whereas, you know, with me, I was just kind of like I wasn't getting any jobs. So it wasn't I didn't feel that competitive nature, but I kind of I understand why you did and why people might have felt that around you. Maybe. And also, you know, one of those things, it's, it's tough. And listen, I've experienced jealousy towards people as well, um, who've sort of, sort of gotten opportunities. But then in retrospect, I'm like, what am I being jealous about? There's not really, I haven't had many instances where I've like lost out a job to somebody. It's just other people are also doing cool stuff. And it's, mm-hmm. that's, that's what this is all about. It's like kind of learning to see other people thrive and be happy for them. And not sort of let it get to your head and be like, I want every opportunity and I, you know, why am I not doing better? And it's like, it, it's very easy to get that way, but it's a good, and again, this is something that I've only sort of become more aware of and at ease with in the last two or three years. Um, mm-hmm. But before that, I would, yeah, I would very easily get affected by like, well, where am I going next? Like, what's, what's after this? It's like, how am I, am I growing um, necessarily? But, mm-hmm. and again, the, the thing is like my first opportunity that I got, I remember, um, I think it was just at the beginning of second year that uh, was it the end of first year even that I applied for the much VJ search like that's what kind of oh like, yeah that's what sort of sparked that. all of this and and because um, there were so many people in our in our program that were applying for it and uh, I was like sure I want to do it and it's so funny because like I would never have the confidence to do it now even though I have more experience but as the 18 year old who was like new and I was like yes I could do it all like that sort of blind ignorance and just being naive helped me just be like, yes, of course I'm going to win the much VJ search be the best <laughs> Canada. There's no doubt in my mind. Um, and so I obviously like put a lot of effort into the audition video and put it out there and nothing really came of it. I didn't make the, you know, shortlist or whatever, but um, it got the ball rolling. And then the, I applied for another MTV contest, nothing happened. And then I applied for another one. And that was the first thing that I got. It was like this MTV contest to go to the Video Music Awards. It's to this day, the coolest thing that's ever happened to me, because when you get to experience something like that at the age of, you know, 19. um, Yeah. So what was it? So basically MTV Canada had like a sponsored con, like, you know, they, they don't anymore, but they used to have, and you know, I'm very lucky that I sort of got to do one of the last ones, but they had this contest, which was like um, audition to be like the the digital reporter for the Video Music Awards in 2013, and like not the MMVAs, but the actual VMAs in in New York. And so um, I auditioned for it, and you know I'd done a couple of these auditions at this point, so I feel like I kind of figured out what they were looking for, and was just mm-hmm. hopeful that I would just nobody would be that much better than me, and then I could try to you know, but. I remember I, I made the video and then even though it wasn't, I hate the voting based system because it becomes a popularity contest and this wasn't, but mm-hmm. I made it a point still to like, you know, send my YouTube video to like random people on YouTube and be like, please watch this and like comment and I'm like, <laughs> one of those. Right. And yeah. um, anyway, I was like, I really, really wanted it and I ended up getting it and it was the best like thing, but it was wow. still, I was very much a, 
contest winner. I wasn't really as much as I like to think of myself as like, I was the host or whatever. And it's like, you know, sure. I, I got, it was like a work experience for sure, but I was still very much a fangirl who happened to have a camera rolling while I was there. Um, yeah. Right. But for the people in your classroom beside you, they're thinking these grandiose experiences, maybe they want to do something similar to you. Yes. And you're right. Bridget's favorite word, introspection. If you aren't good at, at looking inside and why you're feeling that way and understanding like, oh, I just envy him because I also want to have that experience. Mm. They don't leave room for gratitude for the other person. And so, yeah, it's like really easy to be like, I'm in this program and that's where I want to go. And this guy's already doing it. And when we're all sitting in class talking about, you know, what might become of our careers. Yeah, it's easy to like, for people to get jealous or to envy each other. And Mm -hmm. I give you credit that at the stage you're at now, you've been able to to look inside and go like, okay, no, there's room for everybody and I'm my own version and I'll find my own path and my own journey and it'll be great too. And I think that's rare and nice to hear that with the experience I see that you've had that it hasn't been tainted. No, and I mean, I do, you know, sometimes I do think of sort of those people who have been a little sassy to me or, you know, sort of vibes I got from people that weren't the friendliest um, and maybe as a result of like what I was doing. But again, you know, and and not to say that, oh my God, I was so much better, so cool. No, it's just that, you know, when one of your peers happens to have gotten an opportunity. And again, listen, I was, I'm very much aware of the fact that I was also not great at what I do right off the bat. It's taken a lot of experience and, and time to grow into myself and gain that confidence and security. But yeah, when I started, I was like faking it till I make it sort of vibe, right? So, and I think it's tough for maybe other people to be like, well, he's not even that good. So why is he getting to do it, you know? And so mm-hmm. maybe there was other people in our program and some of my peers who were more talented and probably more qualified and would have done a better job. Um, but that's another thing I've realized in this industry, which I have to constantly remind myself um, is it's not about who's the best for the job. It's about who happens to make themselves available for the job and who's most um yeah, who's most sort of, I don't want to say aggressive, but just um, most passionate sometimes, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So you said that you were like faking it till you make it for a long time. I feel like that's super relatable for a lot of people. I know only recently I've like started to feel a little bit more confident that I'm not faking it anymore. At what point did you feel confident in your skills and you were like, no, I deserve all of these jobs that I'm getting. I I know that I should be doing this. I feel like a little bit of that element of that I don't know if it ever goes away. Like, of course, there's some, mm. still a part of me that I'm like, you know, I'll do a certain thing or, you know, I'll be like, am I, am I like good? Or, like, am I like st- imposter syndrome? Oh, of course. Oh my gosh. Mm. The impo- imposter syndrome is like constant and often, but if there, it's, I'm getting better at sort of like reminding myself of like, oh no, there are a lot of, you know, uh, positives here too. There's a lot that I have grown, like, especially I can always see how much I've grown if I just watch something from like even two years ago. I go, oh, okay. Mm-hmm. So you don't. Yeah, notice you have it. visual. You have like video representation <laughs> of like your timeline. Yeah, that's lovely. Which is sometimes painful to go back and be like, what was that eighteen-year-old thinking? Like that's insane. <laughs> but um, and you know, there's still stuff I'll do that I'm just kind of like, you know, I wish I tried harder. I wish I'd like prepared more because you know, again, when you do something like you know, I post very regularly to the point that sometimes maybe I feel like I'm not trying as hard enough anymore because I take it for granted. So it's just sort of like challenging yourself or whatever. But um, in terms of like what moment, I think it would be 
like I would say even over the last two years, mm-hmm. like within within the pandemic even. Actually, it was 2019 that I truly started to... 2019 was a great year for me um, career-wise. It was right before the pandemic and I got to like travel a lot and just do cool things. And it was also the first year that I was hosting this show by myself because Carlos had just left in the fall of 2018. So 2019 was sort of my first year of like feeling like, oh, wow, I have this, like, I get to host this show single-handedly um, yeah. and get to, like, you know, interview these cool people and travel to these cool places. And I was really starting to, like, settle into it. And then, of course, the pandemic happened. The pandemic happened. hit, yeah. It's like, yes, everybody. It happened to everybody. But, um, you know, it was, it was like, kind of like we were joking about, you know, before, the, before we started recording of, like, this is not fun to do over a computer and have, like, yeah. you know, me have to be in charge of my lighting and not be able to have that same human interaction and you know this is cool because I still get to talk to you guys for like an hour but a lot of the like celebrity interviews that I do are four to five minutes and you have to hit certain questions and make sure you know and I'm just stressed about what if my call drops do I lose access to Zendaya like what's gonna happen you know it's like it's it's, I don't get to enjoy it as much uh, as a result of that but on the flip side um Every passing year, I feel the confidence does increase. And there's such a transition. Yeah. And you're back doing like normal interviews, doing not virtual interviews now, right? Like you're back in person. Uh, unfortunately, no. We've only I've only gotten to do the one uh, in-person interview with Simu Liu, who's a Shang-Chi. But because he, you know, he's from Toronto. He came to do a press tour in Canada. And so they brought him in. But um, no, it's very, it's very much still uh, a virtual space. I think it is changing, but you know, um, for the most part, I think it's going to remain virtual for the next little while. It's such an important detail that, like, like I think about how I was faking it till I made it in my early twenties, and I felt good in life, but like job wise, it was constantly like prove that I went to school for the right thing, prove that I made the right choices in my life, feel confident. Everyone's asking you like, so what are you doing now? So what are you doing now? So what are you doing now? And you always feel a need to like, let people know you don't suck. And then now it's like entering, like leaving the 20s. It's like, oh, in work life, I'm good. Because it's just always, you're always working towards something. And like, there's confidence in that where it's like, you just got to keep moving. And like you said, like, it's not one good person for a job. It's who's given the job and what they do with it. And it's actually now like coming out of my 20s. It's my personal life where I'm like, oh, you got to be like, like, I am not feeling confident. I feel like I'm faking it till I make it every day with like doing laundry and like paying as myself. Paying <laughs> like, what is this sick joke of life? Uh, tell me about it. Yeah. Okay. I want you to close your eyes right now. Mary is about to take you on a journey of the senses. So you're hanging out with your friends and the night's perfect. You're all laughing and there's lights everywhere and you're all feeling jolly and you think this night can't get any better. And then they pull out a charcuterie board and it's gorgeous. It's got all these different flavors, all these different colors. There's pickles, pickled beets, could it be? Cheeses of your dreams, soft cheeses, hard cheeses. What could be better? Mm -mm. Yes, and you can experience that too this Christmas season. Our company, Collective Creations Events, is doing Christmas charcuterie and dessert boards perfect for family gatherings, staff meetings, bachelorette parties, nights in alone while you cry. You know, all the things. 
Head to our website linked in the show notes, collectivecreations.ca forward slash cocktails dash charcuterie to make an order or send us a DM on Instagram at cocktails and charcuterie. All right, back to the podcast. But I want to get into YTV because that is super cool. I worked at YTV for a while. Did you, like I did a, an internship. I think it was probably right before you were there. That's so funny that you, we just probably missed each other. But I'm, I'm surprised that it didn't come up like when once I started working there. Maybe you did tell me and it was probably like such a, how long were you there for? I was only there for a summer. Like it was a summer internship. Um, I did a lot of the, uh, I made a lot of props. Who was hosting big fun movies at the time? Do you remember? I think it was Carlos. Like Carlos was there when I was there. Oh, of course. Um, yeah, yeah. Lisa Gilroy was there. Oh, okay. Who else was there? Victor. Yeah, Victor was there. So I was already there then. So we crossed paths. When I started really? at YTV, I was there so um, not regularly. Like in the beginning, it was kind of like, you know, oh, Carlos can't do this shoot next month. Like, would you happen to be available? And I'm like, yes, of course. Um, I think I do remember you were a host there, but we you were never there when I was there because I think I remember being like, is Duhane coming in this week? And then you weren't. <laughs> so Yeah, no, uh, the beginning at YTV was extremely slow and stretched out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, my favorite, my personal favorite part about that job was definitely the slide. Yes, that's like the Which best. I've maybe been on maybe I've been on it maybe twice in my eight years. Yeah, there, I don't even so. know if I went on it to be honest. <laughs> I always wanted to. Is it like for staff? Yeah, it's like there's like the slide in the middle of the building, but it has like a door that locks, so you can't just like use it whenever. Yeah, but it's like from the top floor to the bottom floor. Yeah, it's very cool. It looks super. Like I still love the building. I still think it's one of the coolest. Like it is the coolest TV building in in Toronto, at least. Like you know, I've worked at. Bell Media. I've worked at um, a little bit at Rogers. I remember one TIFF I volunteered there. But like, yeah, the course building is just cool. It's like all glass on the waterfront. Yeah, yeah. it's really cool. Um, so how did you feel when you got that job? Like, was this like you really wanted to get it and you auditioned and you got it? Like, how did that go? So it's funny because um, uh, this, again, very like weird, like meant to be sort of things. But I was actually... I'd done the whole much VJ audition, right? And I then I think I'd also like at this point won the MTV contest and then done that little stint and come back to normal nice, life okay. and been like, oh, that was a cool one week, and now what? <laughs> it's like go back to school or whatever. Um, and so of course I was like hyped up and energized, and I wanted to like I was applying places, and not that I had really much of a demo reel, but my few cringe interviews that I had from this MTV uh, gig that I've made a little reel out of it and started sending it out. And I was hanging out with a group of people and somebody mentioned who I don't even, who's not even a friend of mine, like just some random mentioned being like, Oh, isn't, doesn't YTV film in Toronto? And I was like, I, I guess it does. I've never really thought about, um, you know, applying to YTV. That's a great idea. So I went home and I looked up like YTV, you know, e email or YTV contact or something. And I found this like page that, a production that had, YTV had done or a production company that had done something for YTV and it was a while ago, but I saw an email there and I sent an email to this random production company being like, hey, I'm a host, here's my reel. Like, I would like to be on YTV, please. Um, a, week, a week later, I get an email from somebody at YTV being like, hey, we're actually auditioning hosts. Are you interested to come in? And I was like, or he's like, oh, you, you know, and I was like, yeah, absolutely. He's like, okay, you know, let's do a, let's, I'll call you and then we can figure it out. 
And then so this guy calls me and I was like, oh, so you must have gotten my email. And he was like, no, what email? And I was like, oh, I sent this email like a week ago to somebody with my reel being like, I'd like to be on YTV. And he's like, no, that's so weird. I literally found your much VJ audition video and that's how I'm reaching out to you. Cool. And I was Whoa. like, oh, that's so cool. Serendipity. And yeah. And then uh, YTV reached out to me like soon after. So yeah, a couple of those, you know, weird, um, meant to be things. And I've obviously been there eight years. So yeah, weird, weird serendipitous moment. Yeah, um, that's, that's how they, so cool. they found me was through that much VJ audition that I actually didn't end up getting. Um, and that's how they found Victor as well, I believe at the time. So how do you, do you feel when you didn't get the much music VJ audition? Cause you know, it's like so attached to who, like you as a person, it's not like, mm. I mean, I don't mean to compare it, but like, it's not like applying for a job where it's just like a skill set that's not your persona. Yeah. So how does it feel when you get rejected for a job that is all you? You know, I mean, thankfully I've been kind of okay with the whole, I'm not so great with rejection in like, social settings <laughs> but I'm, I'm weirdly okay with rejection in the career space like yeah it pinches a little bit but especially with performance stuff as much as we like to think that it's like oh it's me it, there's so much more to it right there's like they can be a certain mm -hmm. look a certain age a certain vibe that you just don't happen to fit and I was also very green at the time but um looking back of oh my gosh I'm so glad I didn't get it but yeah I think I was a little disappointed but it wasn't like I don't remember being devastated by it at all um, because then also when I had submitted the audition for it, I don't think I knew that it was going to be a reality show. And that was definitely a, not a pleasant idea for me to be like, oh, I'm going to be on like sort of a big brother-esque show where I'm traveling. Oh, that's what it was? Yeah, they turned it into like, um, yeah, you had to essentially be on a like tour bus across Canada. And they actually turned them the the main floor of much music into like a big brother house with beds and with cameras uh, 24 seven. And then it was like a, yeah, it was a very weird reality show. Like competing for the job? Competing for the job. Yeah. That sounds really toxic. <laughs> Brilliant TV idea though. Yeah. We're going to make your interview process 10 times more grueling than it is and show everybody. And we're going to televise it. <laughs> yeah. And make money off of you. Yeah, well, had I even made it into the top 20 or whatever, I would have still never won. There was no way that I was going to get that job. I was too raw. I was too insecure. I was too much of a kid to be able to to do that. And I didn't know who I was. So, like, what personality was I trying to sell when I didn't even know what it was? So um, I'm glad I didn't get it. But So I don't think it stung me too much knowing the who they ended up picking and what that show ended up becoming. But um you know, Chloe, who ended up winning, obviously has had a great career in media since, so. Um, you seem like such a go-getter and like, uh, I want to go for this thing. And logically, this is like, even just like moving from India to Canada, applying for school. Oh, I should also go volunteer here. Oh, I'm going to apply for this YT. Like, it seems like, and like having such a clear head of, if I don't get it, that's nothing to do with me. It's just how it goes. Like, is this... A natural thing for you was this taught to you as a kid like what what's your secret because <laughs> wow. it's like a rare it's <laughs> give it's us the details honestly such a rare trait to be able to have that perspective and to not be like yeah when I didn't get that I was completely destroyed inside and you know what I mean 
Well, thank you. I mean, it's not, uh, let me tell you, it's not all that clean. I mean, I've had my moments. I actually remember being very easily affected by that stuff when I was younger. Even when I was in India, I remember not getting onto this student council um, and being just like furious, like, because I, I knew what I was capable of and I knew how good I was at the thing or whatever. And, you know, but I was kind of like very involved. And I think it was my, I want to say defense mechanism because I, I would say I wasn't necessarily the most popular kid growing up now thinking back to it thank god but um so because i was kind of like socially not really fitting in that i felt like i needed to do these extracurriculars to try and make up for it so you know what's interesting about um doing like things like that is you have permission to to be seen right so it's tough when you're in a group of kids trying to show your personality and be like hey i'm cool like laugh at me or like look at me um, it's very vulnerable, but when I was in like the debate club or like model UN or whatever, it's like the floor is yours to talk and everybody will shut up and watch you and listen to you. So weirdly having that permission, I thrived in that environment because, um, again, being an only child, I, uh, never had to fight for attention in my home. And so having to fight for attention anywhere publicly, and I'm still like this is not, doesn't come naturally to me. So I didn't like that self promotion, self-marketing thing. And that's why even today, like I don't really post that much on social media. I'll post every now and then, but so many of my peers are like, Oh, you need to post all your interviews and try and be an influencer and get brand deals. And I was like, I could and power to all the people who do that, but it just is not me. And it takes the life out of me. So I, I it would be it would at what cost, you know? So, um, so I would not say that it came naturally to me, but yes, I did sort of use um, opportunities like work opportunities or extracurriculars to try and just thrive in my own way or feel heard or feel like I have a place. Um, and, but no, I, I remember even like when I was in India, I like remember auditioning for like a Disney channel thing and not getting it or like going through multiple rounds of auditions only to then mm. stop hearing from them and me being just so like, what is going they on? They ghosted you. Huh? They ghosted me, which is <laughs> they ghosted you. literally the industry. Nobody ever reaches out to you to say, hey, we're sorry you didn't get it. No, it's just ghosting is. Aw. Yeah. <laughs> it's so sad as a child. I know. Too. I like, was like 14 what? or something. And I just remember like, it had been like a month. I was like, yeah, they're not, they're not calling me back. Uh, I just remember Aww. like sending a text to like, the casting director or whatever, because I, for some reason, had her <laughs> Call him up. I was like, yeah, hey, I assume, you know, you went with somebody else. Like, just wanted to say good luck. Um, and then she replied and she was like, oh, well, thank you. Like, take care. And I was like, damn it. Better than new phone, who dis? <laughs> well, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, it was never something. I, w- I wouldn't say that I've never been distraught by rejection. I mean, I'm human. Of course I have. But I'm more, I'm more like... um especially now as I grow up, I'm like, I don't take, I'm like, of course, if somebody I'm trying to be friends with or date was to be like, hmm, I'd, I'd be able to think a little bit more um, uh, torn up about yeah. it. But like in a career space, there's so many different elements at play. And I'm, I, I'm all about like, oh, no, of course, I could be better. This is wants me to be better. So it's great. Keeps you moving. It keeps you going. Yeah. So then as you uh, start to see more success and you're getting jobs, so you do, you're the much music reporter in New York, uh, obviously your job at YTV. And then that you have jobs that like some people dream of. And that obviously comes with a lot of pressure that comes with the imposter syndrome of like, okay, the doors open, the opportunities here. Doohan's got to perform now. Um, how did you manage through those experiences when the pressure was on? 
It was, again, I think it was a right place, right time played such a huge part in at least, you know, getting YTV and kind of like, you know, the story that I just told you about how it all came to be. But even when I started, it wasn't, I never, like MTV, that MTV gig was cool because it was like an overnight, like, you got the thing. Tomorrow you get to come to our office and meet everybody you're traveling with and film content. The next day you're flying to New York. And then you're going to be on, at the VMAs and you're going to interview these people and you're going to be on a red carpet. It was so much happened so quick. It was unbelievable. But YTV was interesting because they were like, we didn't hear from them for a month after the audition. Then finally heard from them. They were like, hey, let's have you come in and film one segment. And then I filmed the one segment. Then didn't hear back for a few more weeks. Okay, you know, maybe we'll have you do this. And then suddenly I started doing all these really cool interviews and I thought, oh my gosh, I'm interviewing these amazing celebrities, my life is incredible. And then I wouldn't hear from them for another month and a half, right? So it was a very Brutal. weird... <laughs> yeah, but it, like I knew I had the the title of like the correspondent, but there was no like... I, there was... Yeah, I just never knew when I would hear from them next because they had a host. So like validation that like you're in. Yeah, so that was there. But like, again, it was one of those things where like I got to do cool things here and there. And then of course, at the same time, I was going through such a like identity crisis as you do in your early 20s or whatever. And I was like, who am I? How do I, you know, what do I look like? What do I sound like? All of these things sort of just coming crashing down. So in a sense, I'm actually grateful that um, YTV gave, I had that sort of schedule with that kind of job because knowing myself and knowing what I went through in my the first half of my 20s, I would have completely crumbled had I been like a much VJ or had I had like a full-time hosting or performing job, which would have been cool, but I know it would have taken a huge toll on me. I needed something where I could be bad, fail, and feel comfortable in that it's not going to ruin my career or these people are not going to like tear me to shreds, right? Like even my boss at the time at YTV, who's not there anymore, but you know, he played a huge role in sort of my confidence building because I would always go to him and ask for honest feedback. And I really respected him um, and the way he handled things. And um, just for him to be able to sort of talk to me on a human level and be honest about things that were working and not working, but never make me feel like I was about to lose my job because of it was an important thing to have. So I, I really liked having that security and that comfort um, in this workplace. And of course, then you know, um, when Carlos left in 2018, taking over and feeling like, okay, now I'm ready to do this. But had, you know, timing been different, and I had to take over that job, you know, as a newbie, it would have, it would have definitely eaten at me. What was the question? Like, it was about pressure, but you gave a bit more insight on that experience. And I'm, I am envious of that, because I don't think a lot of people coming out of college or university get a job, and they're like, hey, as a boss, I'm going to be really awesome, cool. And when you screw up, that'll be okay. And we're going to work through it and you'll train. And like, whether that was their intention or not, you didn't have a toxic work environment. You had positive people around you that you trusted where you weren't going to crumble or be terrified or, you know, get anxiety to perform or something. That's, it's such a rare thing to have. Like you're very, very Yeah, lucky. of course. Thank you. And I definitely recognize that. But on the flip side, I also wasn't like, making great money or wasn't like, you know, didn't have this, like, even though it looked really like fancy or whatever, like, yeah, I'd get to, you know, go stay at the Four Seasons for two nights when I was in LA for a work trip and then come back to Neil Wysick, which I'm bridging, you know, is just like not the nicest student residence. Grungy <laughs> residence. <laughs> yeah. And just have to live with like five other people and fight over who ate my cream cheese. Like I did, you know, it was, I still got the full university you know it made you who you are today 
It humbled you. Yeah. Only, I would say it's so interesting because people look back and they're like, you've been doing this. You've had a career for eight years. It's like, yeah, I've been in the industry for eight years, but I officially started. I only became like a regular worker in 2018. Okay. Um, that's when that's when I was like, that was the first year that I made like normal adult money, even though I'd been doing it for, you know, adult, adult money. money. <laughs> Love that. Yeah, because I the, our next question was, you know, millennials tend to job hop a lot. And you haven't you I mean, you have you've been doing a lot of jobs, but you've stayed consistent with YTV for so long. So how like, have you ever wondered what it be what it would be like to stray? And we can take this out if uh, after or you don't have to answer this if that's like a you know, conflict of interest, <laughs> but like, have you ever wondered what it would be like to like do something else? Or if you went down a different path because you're not doing the normal, like hopping from job to job, like all the other millennials are. Sure. I mean, the, yeah, there was definitely a little bit of job hopping, kind of like you said. I mean, again, it was one of those things where I was, you know, before um, I took over more regularly, my role at YTV was sometimes I would be there, you know, once a week sometimes i'd be there once a month i remember there was one time that two months went by and i didn't hear from them and i remember sending an email being like guys i'm gonna you know i'd like to be there more often you know and it's like Mm -hmm. but again it was the nature of the job it was i was a correspondent and they kind of used me when they needed me and i you know and to be honest that also worked for me in us in a weird way because it allowed me to go you know i was a producer on e-talk for um like Mm -hmm. all like throughout 2017 and a bit of 2018. Um, I got to, yeah, like experiment with different things. And um, I remember even at the, like after our final year at uh, Ryerson, I, you know, as part of my practicum or special project or whatever, I ended up like organizing this event uh, that was like just something I would have never had time for had I had like a full-time job, you know? So I got to do a lot of like life learning. And I think um, mm-hmm. kind of like what I was saying before, for me, my 20s was such a like identity crisis and, and there was so much that I was trying to figure out on a personal level that I needed to have the kind of work that would allow me to just have that personal awakening so that, you know, and then it, the timing just worked out. But had I been a little bit more like, because I think it, it's funny, 18, 19, when I was getting started, I was so confident. I thought I was on the top of the world. And then as I kind of came into my 20s, all of that started to go away. I became extremely insecure. Um, My confidence started to sort of um, uh, vanish and was constantly questioning myself, having body image issues, having just everything, you know, coming down to me at once. Mm -hmm. Again, super grateful for it because I've been able to make it out on the other side and there's still a lot to to explore and um, work on. But, oh my gosh, the first, yeah, from 20 to like 20. 425 was brutal um and uh and i so i think that's the reason why i i didn't have the energy to job hop and i feel like that's you know the for a lot of people in their 20s it's okay to recognize that you need time for yourself and not if you have the opportunity to not necessarily get thrown into the race um do things do things that fulfill you do things that keep you involved keep you keep your creative juices flowing but uh, allow yourself the time to, like you said, have that introspection and, and gain that perspective. Cause you're only delaying it. Cause eventually it's bound to happen. You know, it's so important to hear that because you, that's the whole social media thing, as we've talked about having that 
persona or that image that, oh, Doohan came out of school working and he's still working and he's working for the same people. Which what a concept. Most 20 somethings. Doesn't matter what industry you're in, like it's you're lucky to be staying somewhere for that long. So to hear about those struggles for you, and it's very common for someone in their early 20s to feel all those things, uh, to work through them in such a healthy way and understand that you needed that space um, in the world of digital and social media and all that. I think it's really important for us to hear that and to talk to each other more openly about it. It's a big reason why we're doing this podcast is because social media has made it so hard to have these real honest conversations about like, it's not always glamorous. And if you're aiming for glamour, you're probably going to be really unhappy. So like also do the work, do the work. hundred percent. And it's one of those things where like, yeah, social media is a very touchy subject for me because part of me feels like I need it for my career because, you know, as a host, especially, right. It's like, it's, it's not that it's part of the job, but it's looked highly upon. And Listen, I'm not going to kid myself. I'm not going to try and become an influencer. I will post things from time to time that I feel confident about. But I also have a lot of peers who post all the time. And I don't think they're being ingenuine. I just think they're the kind of people who thrive constantly recording themselves or have the confidence or comfort to be able to just talk into a camera all the time. And I'm not judging that at all. It's just you have to be honest with your personality. If I started to feel like I need to do that or I need to emulate that in order to succeed yes you're right I would totally crumble because it's not it's not in line with my personality type and I think that's something that needs to be more of a conversation is like it's cool if you're wanting to put your life out there and share your experiences and create entertainment for people obviously there's a huge market but if you're not enjoying it and it's not making you feel good leave like don't don't participate in this culture that's kind of designed to make you feel like you don't have enough you know 100%. Absolutely. It's tough. It's a tough, yeah, I feel the same way. Like sometimes I'm like, I just want to delete it all. But every day I make money off of using social media. And so you're like, okay, where's the balance here? And how do you stay healthy? And I feel bad for the young kids that don't know what life was like before social media. They'll never know what it was like to just go outside and climb trees or lay on the grass for an hour and just stare at the sky. Like how many young kids do that now? Probably not many. Yeah. It's sad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we're going to get more into social media in a second, but just going back to, you know, you living at Neil Wysick and people stealing your cream cheese, um, I think this segues <laughs> nicely into Mary's next question. <laughs> Bridget, you, you ask it because I have to charge my laptop. Okay. So being roommates with Amina Masood, is that how you say it? Yes. Perfect. Who played Aladdin in the most Disney, in the most recent Disney film. That's super cool. There obviously must have been something in the water in your apartment because both of you guys are doing crazy stuff. Was that at Neil Wysick that you guys were roommates? It was. And there was another girl with us, Michaela, who also is doing amazingly um, in the music industry. Her song is like all over the radio. Um, so it's just, yeah, we were a creative group of people. There was something in the cream cheese. That's yeah. what it was. Cream cheese was later. <laughs> <laughs> Mina, Mina and your other roommate did not steal no, your cream they cheese. They not. were good roommates. Um, but listen, it was one of those things where like, you know, I, I remember I was, um, <clears throat> I was kind of moving out in second semester. And at the time it was, they just, I filled out a form saying what my likes and dislikes are in music, what kind of program I'm in. And people were already like living there, so they kind of had to like put me into second semester. So right, they were like, "He fits in here." Yeah, and to be honest, I did. It was everybody was sort of like artsy and cool, and 
we were all young and I, you know, not like me and anybody in that apartment were like super close or anything like that. But um, we obviously, you know, spent six months of our lives together or whatever. So it was a memorable experience. And when I got to interview Mina when he came to YTV for a lot of yeah, it was it was cool, but at the same time, it was when I was obviously you know roommates with him. We weren't like hanging out all the time or like super close in that in that sense. But I do, uh, I do like to reflect on it because I do remember um, really noticing his hustle and how hard he worked and how much of a believer he was. And I think he had been um, in a different program before that. He I think went to school for I want to say accounting or medicine or something very academic for two years wow like told his family like no I want to act I'm going to go to Ryerson for film and um and he showed them wow I think that's important (laughs) to have those moments right and it's like sometimes you want to be pushed to your limits to be like I refuse to to feel this anymore and I'm going to do what you know my heart desires and later I I came to know that apparently he lived in um, LA for a while and rented somebody's closet it wasn't even a full bedroom he was literally living out of somebody's closet because he just wanted to be there and he did not care to 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 have that sort of you know and so I very much appreciate that I don't know if I'm you know cut out to rent closets (laughs) but uh, (laughs) I feel like I do appreciate people who um just go for it you know and so that's that's the one sort of moment that I uh when I think of Mina I go yes he he went for it so did Mina steal your cream cheese no (laughs) no he he clarified that that was not this relate this roommate relationship oh okay I do remember him getting mad because I put potatoes out to boil and forgot about them well it's fair thing to get fair that's justified yeah that's a fire yeah. hazard. That's <laughs> uh, cool. So, Duhin, when you like go out for dinner and stuff on the town, do you get recognized? Do people do people recognize you in public? No, it's. I mean, I've had you know kids um, recognize me here and there, but I am by no means being recognized at dinner, or my life is not interrupted at all. It's nice when you know here and there somebody like yeah. you know, um, or like I'll have like a, a mom, which I still have to do by the way, but like. My mom recently reached out to me on Instagram, like, can you please send, you know, my daughter a, a, a personal message sort of thing, you know. Aww, um, that's nice. So, you know, things like that are nice. But I'm also very aware of the fact that, like, the way people consume media is different now. And, you know, I think people will, it's kind of like, you know, if you see somebody from a commercial or somebody you recognize from, like, you know, something you don't necessarily walk up to them, but I can sense people sometimes, you know, give me a look or whatever. And I smile and I have no clue. I'm like, is there something in my teeth or have you happened to watch YTV? I don't know. Um, So I'm very like (laughs) self-conscious that way. You know, I never will assume that, but um, yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, kids now it's like, um, I've also had on the flip side, you know, like I was on a zoom with a classroom and I came on and some kids like had no clue who I was and then I, like when we were talking about it and the, and the teacher played a few of my clips and they were like, oh, you're that guy. And one of the kids said out loud, you're that guy. And I was like, oh, I guess. So, I'm that guy. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where like, you know, when I'm out in a restaurant, I'm not like, you know, studio lit and like, hey, what's up? Like, it's a very different, you know, vibe. <laughs> um, yeah. 
<laughs> studio is, yeah, which is and then Mina Masood comes in and just starts doing some Aladdin stuff. You don't have someone <laughs> carrying around a studio light. That's like Mariah Carey, who has her own lighting team, who travels with her everywhere. Like that would be. That's not real. Yeah, what? I mean, at least for like events oh and my... stuff. Yeah, <laughs> at the restaurant. I mean, it's smart. It's brilliant. I wish I had that. No, I don't. <laughs> but I do have a question though for you because I'm learning a lot doing this podcast. I didn't go to school for radio and television. I went to school to learn how to express an emotion to a large room of people. And then this, you know, it's a little bit more dialed back. It's about the other person and not myself. Um, So as I'm learning these things, I'm learning how intricate it is and how there is like a finesse to it. There's a style. There is like, if, if we don't host an episode for a month, I feel so rusty. Like, I need to be interviewing people, like, almost weekly to feel like we've got, Like, we're making progress. Bridget and I, yeah, like, when we do our interviews more often, we don't interrupt each other. It's, like, seamless. You'd think we'd practiced it. And then, you know, today we've interrupted each other many times. We haven't done an interview in a while. So for you, like, what are some of the tips and tricks? What are some of the things that, like, you've learned over time or help me like how can you make me better that's what i'm asking i mean i honestly i think you guys are great i don't know what necessarily what um expert advice i can offer but i think something you pointed out earlier um which uh stuck with me is you said it's a chat not an interview and that's true it's like you know at the end of the day it's like this is a chat and not well not unfortunately but on you know in contrast what i do i don't get to have this kind of time with people i've had 10, 15 minute interviews with people. And that's like, whoa, if I got a 15 minute interview slot with somebody, I don't know what to do with that kind of time. But I am more relaxed because it's like, okay, we know it's going to end up being maybe two minute and a half segments on TV. So we have a lot of room to play, a lot of room to edit stuff out. With, you know, some of the bigger stars, I get four minutes. And, you know, I have to have all my questions memorized because I don't have time to, necessarily stray from the script because there's no time. So I've had moments where, you know, yes, I've played off of somebody, you know, but the most I can do is quickly react or something and then go into my next question. So the the dynamic of like a, a TV junket interview is so different that I actually am enjoying this because there's so much room to just talk and chat and, and get into the meat of the things. The nitty gritty. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so, what we like. Um, yeah. No, but like you said, it honestly practices everything because even for myself, when I watch some of my interviews back from the, the earlier days, it's awful because it's just me not having any, not being in the moment. It's not, it's like, yeah, you can have your questions prepared and you can have them memorized, but there is a certain, like it reads so strongly on camera if you're just not present. And a lot of, not to name names, yeah. but a lot of even accomplished hosts on TV are just robots. They're just there to ask their question and the person says something and they have no ability to respond to it and then quickly jump cuts to the next question. And it's like, no, I like those mm-hmm. moments where you can like have a little, you know, laugh at something yeah. they said. Like or, see the authenticity of it. Yeah. So ha- yeah. being in the present, being sort of like mindful of what's going on is important um, over Zoom, much harder because again, right now this was an adjustment for me. You'll notice in the beginning of this interview, as like Bridget was introducing me, I was like looking at the camera, looking at the screen, <laughs> <laughs> because when I 
do uh, these interviews for YTV, I'm looking into the camera the whole time. So I have like a famous person on my screen and I can kind of see their silhouette moving. That must be so difficult. It's so tough because I can't see your eyes. I can't see your facial expressions. And I watch the interview back and I'm like, oh, that's cool that she made that little face. <laughs> but in the moment, I had and no you have no that You yeah. have no way to like react yeah. to what they're saying or anything because you can't read their exactly. body language. So very, very odd. Yeah, that does sound odd. Um, Says a lot about why podcasts have become so popular and in the entertainment industry. Like you hear, I'm a big fan of Armchair Expert, which I've said a million times. But and most of the time when he interviews other celebrities, they're like, this is so much better than an interview yeah, was, being asked the same question. I was just listening to Smartless. It's a podcast I listen to too often i don't know if you've heard it before. weekly yeah which one were you listening to the justin thoreau one which is really good yeah, yeah. they talk about what is it they're him being uh always shirtless or having no sleeves yes yeah yeah, yeah. it's they're hilarious right and it's like just even some of the questions i'm like whoa i like i would never be able to obviously ask that a because i would not have the time to ask those questions but also b you know uh, publicists would never allow that. But yes, when a friends when friends are having a chat, it's a totally different vibe. So yes, podcasts are great because you really get to, um, and you can just listen endlessly, right? In a TV interview, it's all edited and yeah. quick and you want to keep everyone's attention before you lose yeah. it, right? So mm-hmm. th- yeah, just, just different things. So do you get nervous before you interview yeah. these big stars like Danny DeVito and Adina Menzel and Kristen Bell and all those people? Like, are, aren't you freaking out beforehand or is it just another day at the office it depends i used to be a lot more freaked out obviously in the beginning like when i did the rihanna interview that was like i had been looking forward to it for so long that when i got in there and it was it was a good interview for you know 20 year old me but um yeah now it's like it's it's i'm trying to think of the last person that i got excited about like zendaya was cool um just because I like, you know, gotten into euphoria lately and just think she's so cool. Um, it, it's just sometimes you don't have the privilege also just to be starstruck because of the dynamics of it. You know, there's so much like hurry up and wait and then, you know, the whole Zoom thing or whatever. But um, Danny DeVito was the most probably the one of the most relaxed interviews I've had because he just is what you would expect him to be. He is his character on yeah. TV. He's like your goofy uncle. Um Idina Menzel and Kristen Bell were a little intimidating, I will really? say, because they were just these perfectly put together women who were like, you know, and again, they, the thing is these celebrities, they do a hundred of these in a day, right? So it's like, and that's another realization that I had, which is slightly sad, but like part of the job is d- don't try to be their friend. Like, yeah, have cute moments and, you know, make them feel comfortable or nice or whatever, but recognize that they're doing their job and you're doing yours, um, so if you go into it kind of expecting it to be like this cool thing and, you know, a lot of it's sometimes cringy when you watch some of these interviews and you can tell the interviewer is so desperately trying to like be cool or have a mm-hmm. moment and you can't try it. Yeah. If it naturally happens, it happens. But they're so used to it too with people trying to corner them or trying to get stuff out of them that sometimes they're shut down. And I've had moments like that when I asked Morgan Freeman to do an impression of a, of a dolphin. Like, what was I thinking? You did know? he do it? What did he say? He flat out said no. I was like, um, can you, because I was interviewing him for like Dolphin Tale 2 or something. I was like, um, and so, you know, you have such an amazing voice. Like, could you, what, well, how would you do an impression of a dolphin? And he goes, I don't do impressions. And I go, and again, like now I would, first of all, I would never ask that question now. But if let's say I did ask that question and he gave that to me as an answer, I would probably play with it a little bit more. 
Be like, you know what? That's fair. That's 100% fair. It was a bad question. People only do impressions of you. Oh, I get it. Okay. Exactly. Or maybe I would even be cheeky and be like, you know, I think you should look into that maybe. Like, you have the voice for it. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. um, I think it'd be a really good fit for you. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so just moments like that where you're like, no, like, just keep, just treat them like an equal, treat them like an adult, treat them like an artist that they are without trying to like belittle them or trying to get little moments out of them and cheapen the the vibe of it. Wow. That's Um, interesting. That's super interesting. So we're going to take a hard left turn here uh, because we want to talk about, before we let you go, we want to talk about uh, some of the stuff that we're super passionate about on this podcast. And you actually went to Harvard to get a graduate certificate. Is this true? You went to... It's true. It's one of those things, again, that was like the sort of Indian academic go-getter in me that was like, dude, you need to go to Harvard. You need something else to... Yeah, we were wondering how that came up. Indian go-getter. I love it. You know, because you feel like, and again, it's the same thing where like now, um, having done this for a while and done the whole producing uh, writing thing, and yes, I've, I've played it safe in a lot of ways because it was built into me like even my dad, like he's super supportive of everything that I do, but I do remember the conversation of, um, no, you need to go to university. Like, cool, study TV, that's fine, but highly pushing you to go to university because you got to do yeah. that, right? Like, you know, yeah. be the academic. Anyway, and so I remember there was another TV host who had posted about it on Instagram. Like, I'm at Harvard, and I was like, I don't want to be at Harvard. So I looked into the uh, program it was just a certification and but i got to like it was actually at harvard and um interestingly i was in new york city for a work thing and i realized that harvard is like a whatever there's a bus that goes to to boston mm-hmm. it's not two i think it's seven, six seven hours i don't know but i took the bus i was like again crazy i would never do that now but i was very young and i felt like i just needed to do something to have an edge up and just, you know, be able to give me a certain advantage. So I signed up for this program. It was so much money. <laughs> um, and so I you know, went to New York and at least my flight there was paid for for work. And I just asked him, I was like, can you just, my return flight, can you just give it to me like two days later or three days later? I'm going to go and do this thing. So I took a bus to Boston, stayed at like a basement Airbnb for the three nights and did this After being in the four seasons at New York. Exactly. Yeah, or whatever hotel, what fancy hotel it was. But I was that was I was so used to that, you know, contrast in my life at the time. But it was something I felt like I again needed to do because that part of me that believes you need to have that academic in you. If I'm being completely honest, I don't know if it has necessarily helped my career at all. I should totally put that out there for people who are who may be wanting to drop four thousand dollars or whatever. <laughs> Is it, was it more like, I get the need to do it academically. Was it passion for digital marketing and social media? It was an interest in, but also I'll be completely honest. It was also the, the sort of um, glitz of the Harvard name. Mm-hmm. I was like, I get to have this on my resume now. I get to tell people that I did it. And listen, it is a cool thing that I did. I'm, you know, proud that I did it, but I actually had somebody reach out to me recently and they were like, Hey, you did this course. Like, can you like can you tell me more about it do you think like i should do it and i was like it really depends on what your intention is from this um you know believe it or not i could have yeah why i could have learned the same things especially nowadays like i would have learned the exact same thing on 
YouTube or gone to a local, and I did, I even took local classes in Toronto um, for digital marketing and stuff because it was something I was interested in. But did I need to go to Harvard? No. Is it cool that I did? Absolutely. Yeah. Is it Slap onto my LinkedIn. It's going to be there forever, 100%. Yeah, so it's $4,000 for sure. So when you were there, did you do any research on social media? We're super into like social media and, you know, the effect on social media on our generation and Gen Z and boomers and all that kind of stuff. So did you do any research on like how social media is affecting the different generations and like the divide between us? It's interesting because my the project, because you had to do like a pitch at the end of it. So the pitch that I did was actually a um, collective of like Gen Z, like it was something, but it was from my perspective. And of course, the program was catered to profit from social media. It was to make a business out of mm-hmm. social media. So of course, my pitch was, mm-hmm. you know, uh, it, sort of the target demo was Gen Z, but um, it was still a business. It was, there was definitely no research done into how this is harming their brains. Yeah. Of course not, because that's, you know, in digital marketing. We want to avoid that concept so uh, but of course now in retrospect when i think about it it's like um it's an amazing tool and it's you know of course changed the lives of many people but on a regular basis and i was just thinking this to myself the other day i'm like for people who do not need social media for their jobs who don't um don't benefit from it career-wise or don't necessarily have a social need for it i don't understand why you would participate in it all the time it's one thing to like go on it for entertainment or whatever. But like tomorrow, if you were to tell me, you know, you don't have to do this anymore. I would instantly change from a public to a private account and just have, you know, a select few number of people that I, you know, want to share my experiences with the people who actually would interact with my content. I also, you know, follow, and again, in the influencer world, like engagement is such a big deal. It's like, what kind of engagement? Do I get? Yep. But we're also, you know, extremely aware now we've been on social media for enough years to be able to see through the phony and when you have an influencer who's constantly promoting and selling and having these experiences for show you no longer enjoy their content right so their engagement starts to go down. totally you don't want to like comment yeah. their stuff because you know it's coming if somebody's posting cool things every day they're not cool anymore so you know i have people i've on instagram who have you know maybe two one two three thousand followers that get a thousand likes per photo because all those people are people they actually interact with in real life and have human connections with. And then I have people who have 30, 40,000 followers on Instagram who are getting two, 300 likes, right? Because it's just, it, it is what it is. So it's a very interesting dynamic of, we actually want to see people we know, and that's the kind of content we want is relatable. And yet there's this subculture of influencers trying to sell you mm-hmm. things all the time, mm. which is exhausting. Well, it's like a moral contrast because, you know, you do have people that'll say like, well, influencers are not a real job or whatever, but you look at some of the money they're making and you're like, respectfully, they'll have a house before most young 20 something, which is something we do need economically. And the guy from the social network said it best where he's like, if you're, if it's free, it's because you're the product. And I think that's the the really big problem with it is that we're seeing all these great influencers. I give you so much credit for saying like, I could easily do this tomorrow and you would be getting people asking you immediately, right. To be, to pay for whatever be. And like, as talking 20, if so a brand came to us and was like, we want to pay you, we'd do it because we need to fund our project. Like I don't want to be an influencer at all, but 
yeah, I want, but it's like this, it's a really hard line to draw when it's like personal and private or if it's public and you're trying to make money off of it and then you like go into this whole other world of psychologically what it's doing to us and the dopamine and all that. A lot of people trying to be influencers, I think there's also a lot more to it than just it's a yes. job. Yes, and it's, so that, it's, it's that separation between like personal self and brand too, right? Like uh, even for myself, like I have actually thought about it and I probably will do it at some point, start just like a private Instagram that's personal. That's just for people that I actually interact with and I can post things and not worry about it and not have to be so... It's like, for me, it's also having an Instagram sometimes is like having a website, right? It's a, it's a, it's a glimpse, a snapshot of like my portfolio. And so there's, again, yeah. there's huge benefits to it, but it's just being truthful to yourself about at what point am I going to, you know, let this take over my life and affect my mental health. But if it's, you're generally, genuinely thriving and there's a lot of creators out there doing very cool things and uplifting people and there's power in that. It's just what percentage of the population is actually suffering. We don't see that. We only see the successful people. We only see the one, 2% yeah. of the population on Instagram mm -hmm. that are creating really cool stuff. We don't see the everyday people who are just viewing and maybe having a difficult time um, with the amount of energy and time and, and mental space that it's occupying, you know? Yeah. Oh, a hundred percent. So we saw you do the interview with CTV where you guys talked about the term OK Boomer, which was awesome because I knew the phrase, but I didn't actually know like how it came to existence or why like millennials were using the term OK Boomer. Um, so can you give us a little like recap of that, of what that term is? Yeah, that was interesting, that panel, because it was, you know, so I do these CTV panels often. Sometimes it's about like entertainment headlines and sometimes just cultural stories. And they wanted to do a chat on OK Boomer because it was a, you know, a, the term was gaining traction at the time. And CTV's audience, of course, a lot of them are the, that generation. And so um, I think they just wanted like two, you know, younger millennials talking about sort of their impression of it. And yeah, it's just, you know, obviously the whole millennial boomer dynamic is super interesting because as the generations of, you know, get younger, the harder it gets in terms of a lot of things, right? Whether it's climate or economy or mental health or all of these things, which I think the uh, the boomer generation didn't necessarily get to experience. So, okay, boomer is like a light term that's just supposed to be a fun thing. Um, but of course, some people uh, are easily offended. Yeah. So... Yeah, we thought it'd be a, we thought it'd be a great thing to ask you because we do we actually very quickly found out that a lot of our target audience is actually boomers. Uh, we originally created the podcast for millennials to connect with millennials, but I, we found that like our parents' generation and everybody are kind of listening in and really liking the content. So we thought we loved your explanation of it, and we were like, we should we should get into that so people you know know if we ever say okay boomer, they'll be like. Nah, I remember, I remember that Doohan guy that one time. He told me that it's yeah. not a mean thing. It's not a mean thing. It's, yeah, it's supposed to be just like, you know, an endearing sort of like, hey, like, let's poke fun at each other sort of thing. But again, it's, you know, a lot of us, I'm sure, have conversations with our parents. And like, same thing, even with my dad, I have conversations with them being like, you were able to buy this house that we're living in with a lot more ease um, than I ever could, you know? And so it's like, it's just sort of recognizing those things and being mindful of it. And again, it's not like you're not, you know, 
angry at them because of course they took advantage of their circumstances, right? But it's just a matter of when millennials start getting labeled as lazy or as narcissists or whatever. And like, fine, we may have some of those qualities, but it's also a result of our circumstances and how we were raised and the pressures of social media and the sort of economic hardships and just having a generation of extremely educated people. It's like, okay, now what do we do with, it doesn't mean anything anymore, right? It's like, yeah, I think the term is a great way to like remind our, the older, like that boomer generation, like guys, come on. Like, it's not the same. I'm in this weird phase of thinking like the, I've hated when people said that millennials are lazy, you know, you're a really good example of it. Bridget and I are very clearly not lazy people. It's so different. And I do think that that tur- that way of like, just work hard and make your way in the world and everything will be okay. And it's like, no, you don't understand. Like even with working really hard, it still is almost impossible. And I think it's causing some millennials to end up in a state of like, they're stunned. They can't move. They don't know what to do. They don't know what job to do. They don't know whether to be passionate about a job or pick a job that's going to be financially stable. And even if it's financially stable, will it actually do anything for me if I'm depressed and hate myself? Like we're in this world of exploration and comparison with social media. And it's nice to just be like, okay, boomer, I can't do it the way you did it. I love you, but it's not the same. And just, yeah, it was a great way to like, wrap up kind of these conversations that we've been having with these people that are listening to our podcast. Yeah. yeah. Totally. Totally. So, Duhin, before again, I've said the I've said this like three times. Before we <laughs> let you go, <laughs> one more thing. So, we're wondering if you have any advice to your 20-year-old self or to 20-year-olds today, what do you wish you had done differently? What would you have kept the same? Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, it's interesting. I often think about that. It's like, oh, what would I have done differently as a as a twenty year old? Um, I think financial literacy would be something that I would push myself to explore more. Just you know, (laughs) just yeah, like when it comes to stocks or anything, it's like it's intimidating, and you know, we're taught to be scared of it. And um, I actually remember I opened my like you know direct investing stock account when I was nineteen. Um, but again, nothing really came of it because I didn't have the, the financial literacy so, literacy. so I made a lot of mistakes and invested in a lot of stupid things. And, you know, um, again, I could say there was positives in the, you know, seeing that as a 19 year old, instead of spending my money on a lot of frivolous things, I was like, I'm going to buy this stock. I mean, it's a lot better than the things that 19 year olds buy. So you're right. <laughs> sure. And so there was, that was one thing about it. And just being like, uh, and the other thing was just patience. Like I just remember even at like, 17, 18, and social media was a huge part of this. Remember just thinking of certain things or doing certain things or being certain way and being like, oh, I, I don't have enough time. It's already too late. Like seeing other 17, 18, 19 year olds like successful and being like, I, you know, it's too late for me now. And now, you know, 10 years later, I go, if only I'd been, able, if I only had started something and committed to it when I was 17, 18, even 20 like how far I would have come in that time. Right. Mm -hmm. And so not to say that, you know, we're already overworked and, you know, you don't have to constantly be hustling, take the time for yourself and have experiences and, you know, get your heart broken and be messy and fall on your face. Like all that stuff is really important to do so that you can learn those lessons early. But, um, also, yeah, allow yourself if you are passionate about something or do want to experiment like, you know, and this is like an old person thing to say, but it's like, it only gets harder as you age, but it's true. Right. It's like, um, in the words of Taylor Lindsay Noel, 30 creeps up real quick. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I'm actually, and so that's one of the, those things that, like, 
you know, when I look back at my 20 year old self and I'm like, this is the advice I would give him. I also have the flip now where I think of myself as 35 year old self. And I'm like, what advice would he give to me? Mm. And now, and so I would like to apply that like right away. And a lot of that is, you know, again, same thing where, you know, I have friends who are in their late thirties and are going through a lot of the same stuff that, you know, we are now. And it's like, 10 years is actually not that much time being in your late thirties. You're still super young. And I've, I've just recently like leaned into that. I remember thinking the 20, I remember when I was 18, 19, I remember thinking 25, 26, I have to have made it by that point because if I haven't, I'm basically a failure. But now I'm realizing it's like, Oh no, even when I'm in my late thirties, that is a fun time to just, it's still, you're still young enough. There's still so many opportunities. You know, my mom is, turning 60 next year and she's still like experimenting with business and with you know relationships and so many it's just like it's cool to see that it never really stops and so just to have that moment of like okay like I'm actually not even in 10 years I'm still going to be young that's awesome so what can I do with that information that's wicked you know I love that that's great advice I think yeah that's something that we can all kind of learn from I love that idea of looking at yourself you know five 10 years from now and thinking, what advice would I offer then? And then implementing it now. You should probably do some introspection tomorrow. Because, yeah, it's very easy to look back and be like, oh, of course I would, you know, put all my money into Bitcoin when if I was 20, of course. You know, I can only say that now because I've seen yeah. what ended up happening. Yeah, but, well, that's uh, awesome. Well, yeah. Duhin, it's been absolutely a pleasure to have you on here and to chat with you and to hear your story. I've been so curious about your life ever since you know i see you on instagram all the time i'm like what is this guy's life it's crazy you have so many cool opportunities so thank you for coming on um and if anybody wanted to get in contact with you for any reason mentor they just want to be maybe they want a little personal video of you saying hi to their kid how could they uh, slide into your dms how could they slide in there to your dms <laughs> As as you do, I guess. As, please slide away um, yeah, on my Instagram. At Doohan underscore, who is verified, which is super cool. Uh, when did you get verified? Was that like a day? I guess you're not a big social media guy, so you weren't like, were you, I don't know, were you fangirling about yourself? <laughs> no, it was one of those weird things where like, you know, again, working in, you know, being affiliated with, you know, national TV brands, it's sort of... Uh, not easier, I should say, but like it was something, I guess, inevitably that was going to happen. And so um, the day it sort of did, I was like, oh, this is cool. But then it not, obviously it changes nothing. Yeah. What like you know, what happens? They just message you and they're like, ding, you owned your blue badge. No, they don't even message you. Uh, in fact, somebody uh, messaged me, some uh, somebody that I follow and sorry, you follow each other, a friend of mine messaged me being like, oh, you, you're verified? And I was like, am I? And I went and I checked and I saw I was there. So they don't like send you an email or anything. It just kind of- What? Because I, I work at a record label and I try to get our artists verified all the time. And there's like a process that you have to go through of like sending a picture of your ID. A publicist had gone through that process for me. But, uh, okay. but when you do get the verification, um, they don't like tell you that you're going to get it. It just, I guess one day just you wake up and it's there, but- um, yeah, wow. one of those things, it's like a, like a the little, beauty of having a pub publicist. Well, I don't personally have, have one, but I've, I've worked with publicists and, you know, um, right. yeah, I, they did it for you. Yeah. And so, 
Uh, it's one of those like industry things which like may seem cool, but it really changes nothing. I mean, it's one of those things where obviously, you know, if I'm people are looking me up, it's like, oh, this must be the real one. Not that there's anybody trying to impersonate me. But easily, right? Not. Like there are, yeah, there's <laughs> people there that we interviewed a girl that she works for Collective Arts Brewery and someone has made a fake account trying to be her. Wow. Right. And yeah. it's just like, it's it a it's thing. Cool. Yeah. So for you with, yeah. with having, you know, affiliations with national brands in itself, it's necessary. I think it's like a good safety precaution. I just think it was made to be such like a bigger thing on social media, like getting verified. It's kind of funny that you were like, I didn't yeah, even like know. You said, the, the safety aspect of it, the sort of like um, uh, authenticity aspect of it, I think is cool. And I, you know, it's interesting on a lot of other apps, everybody is allowed to get verified so it's just like mm-hmm. right now on social media it's like oh it's like a it's like a thing if you're privileged or you're social elite media. but no really it's just you know if you work in a sort of industry where having that authenticity can help you then that's what it does yeah like, yeah and i love that it is at Doohan and not Doohan Nanda. And let me tell you why. It's because one of the stories I remember of you in university was you changed your Facebook name to just Doohan rather than Doohan Nanda. And somebody asked you why. And you said, well, Beyonce doesn't have a last name. So why should I? <laughs> did I say that? Wow. I was, I was. You did. Yeah. But I think it's also something that people have, like, even now, sometimes people will joke. Cause on YTV, I'm just referred to as Doohan. Like the no, like there's no last name most of us just go by our first name like same thing with carlos right like nobody knew his last name now i guess you can look it up it's you know whatever but like you never called him carlos with his last name it was just the first name and so i think it was such a wide thing but also my name is so unique that i like even when people are putting me in their phone and they put my name in and they're like oh and your last name and i'm like i'll tell you when you meet another doing who's taking up space in your contacts and you're confused which doing I am, I'll give you like <laughs> That's fair. It's just one, yeah, it's like yeah. it's just like two unique names. Like let me just stick to the one and uh, have my share yeah. Beyonce moment. Yes. That's fantastic. <laughs> Love it. So if anybody wants to follow Doohan, it's at Doohan underscore on Instagram. Um, and we highly recommend you follow along with his life and his shenanigans. And we also recommend that you follow, subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast, Talking 20, on your favorite streaming platform to help us grow. And follow along with our shenanigans on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Talking 20 Podcast. And make sure to check out our new memes on Twitter at Talking 20. We also, uh, if you're listening to this, probably at this point have a giveaway going on. So head over to our Instagram page to check that out and enter into the giveaway. For a, what is it, Mary? A Talking 20 mug, a cup of tea, bag of tea, and a cup of tea mug. Yes, and it's a new Talking 20 meme mug that says, why is it always Monday? Hilarious and accurate. uh, Go subscribe. It's fun. It's very cute. So go head over to our Instagram page. Check that out. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.